You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. If you have a Bible, if you have a Bible app, take it out right now. Uh, I usually start off with a story, and uh, this is the story of Job, and like, I was trying to think of a story to tell, and like the scripture itself is so ridiculous that I thought we should just all read it together. Um, so go ahead, take that out. Job 1, we're going to start uh, verse 6, and I'm going to read, and you follow along, um, and I just, just hear this, okay? Just hear this story, all right? Um, one day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, oh, I was roaming the earth, going back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, hey... Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him. He's blameless and upright. He's a man who fears God and shuns evil. Satan said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that the flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and surely he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then. Everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. And then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, the donkeys were grazing, the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned the sheep and the servants. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down your camels and made off with them and put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And at this point, if you have kids, this starts to sound like a children's book because it's so repetitive. Um, yeah, you guys can laugh if you want to. Um, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. All right. One more. On another day, Job 2. The angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came with them to present himself. And the Lord said to Satan, what are you doing? He said, I've been roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he maintains his integrity. Though you indicted me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life, but now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Thanks be to God. (laughs) All right. We're in Lent. It's Job, right? Uh, and uh, we've been talking a lot about Lent. We've been talking a lot about this time where we come face to face with maybe some of the difficult parts of life. We talk about how this season is a little darker. It's a little colder, although today's beautiful. Uh, and we talk about how this is the time where we reflect on our mortality, reflect on the fact that there is pain and suffering in the world. But the beauty of Lent, the thing that I love most about Lent, is the fact that like in a few short weeks, we get to celebrate that there's 
rebirth. There's goodness coming out of the ashes. There's resurrection Sunday. It's coming up. So we talk about like the mortality and we talk about all that, but then we also talk about the hope that is to come, the good stuff that's coming, the good stuff that's on its way. And so I love that. But before we could tackle the good stuff and the hope to come, what did you think of this? What'd you think of it? Go ahead. I'll let you shout out. What'd you think? Crazy. Not right. What else? Cruel. Agreed. Thank you for those of you who are participating today. Um, <laughs> is everybody okay today? We need a little coffee? Everybody looks okay? All right, good. Uh, so here's the deal. The author just pulls back the veil. Just pulls back the veil right away. What does the author do? The author tells us exactly why there is suffering in the world. We have been asking for thousands upon thousands of years why there's suffering in the world, right? Thousands upon thousands. And this author right away just tells us why tells us why they're suffering. This author says that the reason Job suffered is because the reason that Job lost his family, his friends, his servants, the reason that Job lost everything and everybody, the reason that Job wanted to scrape himself with broken pottery to make himself feel better, the reason for all that is because God made a bet with the devil. That's why. That's the reason. God made a bet with Satan. How does that sit with everybody? Yeah, not very good. Not very good, right? That's why. Imagine, imagine like, you, you know, you're going through abuse or you're suffering, like, from addiction or, you know, there's death or a relationship has ended. And I know that we've all been there and we've all said, why, God? Why is this happening? What if God spoke audibly? And what if God was like, it's happening because I made a bet with the devil. Um, with your life, I just did it. But don't worry, I'm not going to kill you. I'm just going to make you feel like you want to die. Like, what would you do? Like, if we, if we really believed this, we would all walk out of here right now. We'd all be gone. We'd all be like, I'm not, this isn't a God I'm going to worship. That's what we would all do. And I think, I'm going to say something right now that I think is probably disheartening to a bunch of us in this room. I know it's a little bit disheartening to me. It's probably going to hurt a bunch of us because we've come to this place looking sometimes for answers for the whys. And, and here's what I'm going to tell you. We don't know why there's suffering in this world. The author of Job doesn't know why there's suffering in this world. The author of Job is, is being outlandish and hi, hyperbolic. Is that a word? Hyperbole? Being hyperbolic because the author of Job goes, we can't explain it, so let's just call it the craziest thing we could think of. God made a bet with Satan. That's what's happening here. We do not know why we suffer. I can't tell you why we suffer. I can't help you with that. We can talk about scripture and allude to a few things here and there, and we can talk about how God suffers with us and Jesus suffers with us, and that's all true, but we don't know why we suffer. That doesn't sit well. Raise your hand. How many people are frustrated with that? Thank you for your honesty today. I am too. We're frustrated because we want to bring control to chaos. This is absolutely what we want to do. And when we're suffering, when there's pain, when there's hurt, wow, that feels a lot like chaos. That feels pretty messy. That's, that's a difficult one. We want to bring control to it. So the ways we bring control to chaos are like this. We say things like, um, oh, uh, oh, you know, this person's probably hurt or this per- that thing happened to them because they didn't believe the right way. We'll say something like that. Or this person is going through that experience, uh, you know, because uh, they didn't work hard enough. Or this person is going through this experience and, and has that thing happen to them because they sin. That's, that's why. Because we're grasping at straws. We want to bring control. This is why it's happening there is no why. There's no why. 
there's this great New York Times article last week, and everybody should read it, and I can't think of the name of it right now. But this woman was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer, who was 35. And she said so her neighbor showed up to her door, and her neighbor knocked on the door and said, I'm really sorry this is happening to you. Um, everything happens for a reason. And so this woman said, okay, well, what, what's the reason? And the neighbor was like, just it's a reason. She, well, what's the reason? You know, tell me why I might not see my spouse and kids again. Can you tell me that? What's the reason? I want to hear the reason. But we say things like this because we're trying to bring control to chaos. We're trying to bring perfection to something that is not perfect. I, I for one, blame the Greeks. I think we should all blame the Greeks. Uh, the Greeks are the one that started this. They're the ones that created a Western civilization that said we could be perfect. That's why you see those statues, the Greek statues, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? There they are. Um, you see like statues like that. That's why to this day we still have things like ESPN, ESPN uh, the magazine, like the body issue and everything like that. Yeah, it's a little racy. That's why we have like that stuff. Because there's a, a Greek perception, a Western civilization per, per perception that we should be perfect. We, you could probably take that down. We should be unchanging. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it was making me jealous. No, it wasn't. Um, you know, but there's a perception that we can be perfect, that we can attain something fixed and unchanging, right? That's the perception that we have, right? And that comes from this, this cradle of civilization uh, Greek culture, all right? And so um, instead of going through the chaos and the pain and the messiness, what we say is, no, we can be perfect. It's why everybody in this room, including myself, we do have a body issue of some sort. There's something about us we don't like because we've been told we can be perfect and we're not quite there yet. And then when it comes to our suffering, my goodness, we shouldn't suffer because our suffering says we're not perfect. Our pain says we're not perfect. Our brokenness says we're not perfect. Hold it together. Keep it together. Look good, okay? Look like you know what's going on. And if you see a person and that person doesn't look good and doesn't know what's going on and looks messy, stay away because they're going to infect you with their messiness. That's what perfection does. That's what this Greek culture does. This is why instead of suffering, we read books like The Secret, Okay, which sold 19 million copies. Spoiler alert, the secret is positive thinking. Just think positively and you'll never suffer again. That's why we, we uh, you know, other books sell millions of copies. Power of positive thinking, that stuff like that. Because, you know, what? We, we'd rather put together a formula to make perfection, something fixed and unchanging, rather than going through the messiness and the pain that comes with suffering. We're trying to get a why to it. Why? I can't answer why, so let me just ignore it. Let me get rid of it. Here's what I'm going to tell you today. Perfection, the pursuit of perfection, when pastors sit there and they say God died so that you can have abundance, and that pastor is saying that, and they have a mansion and a gold globe spinning in their church, and the abundance they're talking about are things and good things and, and stuff and jobs and money. That's just us creating some sort of religion that came from a Greek culture. That's all it is. Perfection doesn't work. If we are to live fully... If we are to live holy in God, if we're living fully, if we're living a full life, then we're embracing the chaos. If we are living a full life in God's kingdom, then we are embracing the pain. If we are living a full life in God's kingdom, then we are embracing the ashes and the scraping and the loss. We embrace it if we're living a full life. Why do I think that? All right, you got those Bible apps out still? Let's talk about Genesis Genesis 1, I'm going to read it. It's right at the beginning of your Bible. Fun fact, I said this last week, Job was probably written before Genesis, right? Which makes Genesis not the real name because Genesis means beginning, but it wasn't. All right, now you know. 
and now you can go to brunch. Okay. Uh, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light. There was light, and God saw that the light was good. He separated the light from the darkness, called light day and darkness night. Let's move on. Genesis 1, 11 through 13. God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and it produced that, and it bears seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit. And God saw that it was good. Let's keep going. 1, 16 through 18. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser to govern the night. He made stars, set them in the vault of the sky to give light and to govern that day and night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw it was good. And then God creates the creatures of the sea, every living thing with the water and the moves about it and all the kinds and the birds and everything. And God saw It was good. In fact, God says, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water and the seas and the earth. Okay, this isn't a a pop quiz, but what does this all have in common? They're good. This creation is good. Okay, now this good isn't the good that that we think when we think of good. Okay, this good isn't, uh, hey, how are you? I'm good. And when we say that, we're generally saying, like, I'm pretty happy. Or, like, you know, the suffering is over here. And I'm feeling all right. You know, that's what we think of when we think of good. There's a moral goodness. I'm good, I'm not being bad, right? That's not the good that is being talked about at all here, all right? Not one bit. The good that's being talked about here is this word called tov. Tov, it's a Hebrew word. It's a beautiful word. It's an incredible word. And you know what tov means? Tov means for its intended purpose. That's what tov means, for its intended purpose. I love that. It's like this process, Right? God, when God says this is good, God is saying this is for its intended purpose. And so um, uh, uh, when, he, when we talk that way, uh, we're talking about like there's, so there's like birth and process and, and a journey for its intended purpose. It's not just something that is, oh, I'm happy or this is good. or No, it's for its intended purpose. Tov. All right, so let's go back. God created day and God created night. Day is wonderful. There's sunlight. You're able to work during the day. There is an energy that comes from vitamin D. And then God says, no, but I also want night. I want a time of foreboding and restlessness and rest and sleep. I want darkness. It is tov. It is for its intended purpose. In order for there to be the light, there has to be the dark. This is tov. This is good. This is fullness. All right, I'm going to keep going. Seed-bearing plants. By nature, seed-bearing plants, they have to die. They have to. They scatter their seeds, right? The seeds get scattered, and the plant dies, and all of a sudden that plant dies. But what happens? There's new birth, right? And so just by nature of being a seed-bearing plant, you have to die. You have to experience that loss so that you can come back and give new life. That is good. That is tov. That is as it is intended. That's fullness. Stars. What are stars? Oh yeah, stars are dead, dying things, right? That are giving off light. It's gas that's giving off light. They're dying, they're dead. And yet they give off this light that we can see millions of years later and that light is, is lighting us up the night sky like God intends and God says it's good, it's tov, it's for its intended purpose. There has to be something that's dying in order for there to be something that's giving light. What about um, the birds and the creatures and all of us and everything else? What about us? Just, just, just How many of you have seen a birth? Any kind of birth, not a human birth, any kind, any kind. A few of you. It is tremendous. (laughs) It's like my kids will fall off the the jungle gym at the playground, and like the parent will be like, Aren't you going to go help them? And I'd be like, I watched them go through the birth canal. This is nothing. Like, like, 
That's nothing. Because birth, birth, God says be multiplied. Birth is, it's, your body's doing things that it shouldn't do. And, and there's, there's blood and there's, it's messy. It's messy and it's dangerous. And I'm looking at Maggie right now who does birth all the time. And it's beautiful. It's like all these things combined, right? And, and my, I think I told you my grandfather passed away and it was, oh, it's okay. He, was, he had a great life and it was a wonderful life and I'm celebrating it. But in his death, there's life, right? Because I, I, I said there's, there's a sense in which this church started out of his encouragement, right? So there's life. And like, in order for there to be death, there's got to be birth. In order for there to be birth, there's got to be death. And God says, this is tov. This is good. This is for its intended purpose. This is wholeness. This is fullness. That's what God says. Perfection says that we need to be fixed and unchanging. Tov, goodness, God says, for you to be full, for you to be whole, live in the chaos and the mud and the pain and the blood and whatever else. That's where fullness is found. I can't tell you why we suffer. I can't tell you. I don't think I'll ever be able to tell you why we suffer. It wasn't because of a bet. I'll tell you that much. I can tell you full life is lived in suffering and pain as well as the good. Live in it. I, if you were here last week, I talked about my dad. I told you how about three years ago my dad came out as transgendered. And uh, I told that story and I talked about the hope that I find in it. And here's the truth. The truth is I, I couldn't have talked about that story two years ago. Two years ago, I was depressed. I was like sad. I couldn't tell it. I couldn't tell that story last year. I was probably a little too angry. I could tell it this year. But it was Okay. It was okay, okay for me to be sad and it was okay for me to be angry and I can't tell you why any of that's happening but I can tell you that there are little sprouts rising from the ashes right now. I'll tell you that. And I can tell you in order for me to experience fullness, to experience some of that was okay. It was okay to go through that. So here's what I want to challenge you to do today, okay? I want to challenge you to be taken out by the waves. I want to challenge you to be taken under. I want to challenge you to experience your suffering in the fullness. I want to challenge you to cry a little bit. Go ahead. Seriously, right now, go ahead. I want to challenge you to know that you are not living a full life in Christ until, until you're willing to say, I no longer need to be perfect. I just need to be tov. I just need to be good. I just need to do this because it's for its intended purpose. If you need to yell at God, go ahead, yell at God. There's a bunch of psalms that tell us to do the same thing. Do it. It's tov. It's good. It's for its intended purpose. And know this. Right now, we're in the middle of suffering. Right now, we embrace suffering. We wrap our heads around it. We go through it. We deal with it. But remember, spring's coming. And the beauty of us, the beauty of this thing, the reason that I'm still in this room right now, today, is because there is a God who says, you know what, suffering, I'm going to do that with you. And I worship a king. I worship this God who is bloody and beaten and hangs on a cross. That's the God I worship. And that's tov. That's good. That's for its intended purpose. Because what happens is spring starts to show up and then we get to celebrate the resurrection. And we see the wholeness. And we see the fullness in Christ. It's coming. But right now, let it take you under. Let the suffering happen. Deal with it. It's good. It's for its intended purpose. It's tove. Close your eyes. Pray with me. I'm going to pray this prayer that I read this week from a guy named Frederick Buechner. 
He says, you never know what may cause tears. <clears throat> Maybe it's the sight of the Atlantic Ocean or a piece of music. Maybe it's a face you've never seen before. <clears throat> Maybe it's somebody's old shoes, someone who has passed away. Maybe it's the sadness that came across the world after the Second World War. Maybe it's a horse in a meadow or a high school basketball team. You can never be sure what will cause tears, but of this you can be sure. Whenever you find tears in your eyes, especially unexpected tears, pay the closest attention. They're not telling you something about the secret of who you are, but God is speaking to you through them in the mystery where you have come from and is summoning you to where if your soul's going to be saved, you should go next. Amen.